0: Welcome to Talatera, a podcast about freelance educators working in natural resource fields and environmental education. Who are these educators? What do they do? Join me and let's find out together. This is your host, Tanya Marion. Today my guests are Dina Falcone and Wendy Hollander. Dina is a clinical herbalist, author, and teacher. Her focus is food activism and nutritional healing. Wendy is a botanical artist, an illustrator, an author, and an instructor. Together, Dina and Wendy own Botanical Arts Press, a publishing company formed to handle all aspects of the marketing and distribution of their award-winning book, Foresting and Feasting, A Field Guide to Wild Food Cookbook. How long has Dina worked on this cookbook? How did Dina and Wendy create the contents of this book? And how did they create a successful Kickstarter campaign without having an extensive online presence? Let's find out. Thank you, Dina and Wendy, for coming to onto the show to talk about your book, Foraging and Feasting. As you know, this podcast is for yeah, freelance environmental educators and people who work in natural resource fields. And working in all sorts of, of different ways in their communities. And I invited you to, to be here to talk about your own journey as independent educators and, and authors, and to talk about the work that you do, well, that you've done to create this book. Dina, if you could tell us about yourself, please.
1: <laughs> well, I am an herbalist and that means that I work with plants in many different ways, something that I've been doing, you could say, since I was a preteen on certain levels, but more intensely in my early mid-20s. So um, just connecting back to the origins of, of being an herbalist and the birth of the book, Foraging and Feasting, it really relates to my passion of food as medicine, actually, from a preteen, an 11-year-old's Journey. So it started back then and progressed on. I was raised in New York City in a very radical kind of foodie environment. Interest in holistic healing grew from that place. And herbalism, how would I say herbalism came into focus for me really more as an, as an early adult. And so I've been for the last 30 plus years doing this work and did write an earlier book called Earthly Bodies and Heavenly Hair, and then felt the need to birth this other book, Foraging and Feasting. And it was, the, the wish for this particular book is to empower people to connect with the plants in the ecosystem, the very abundant, prolific plants that most people can find, learning how to use them for food, for medicine also to empower people to cook. So that's a big thing that happened to me as also as an 11-year-old is taking back the power in the kitchen, being a creative, proactive force in one's own life through the kitchen arts.
0: You developed an interest in plants at a very early age. What was your earliest memory of enjoying nature? Was it about then or was it earlier than that?
1: It's an interesting question because I feel like um, I was also born in Mexico in Veracruz, and I was um, raised in Mexico till I was a certain till I was almost five. And I have memories relating to my Mexican grandmother who was very into plants. But that's hard to <laughs> It's like far away. And then being an urban city kid, it wasn't like we had a lot of nature. In the East Village, there, you know, although the sidewalks were pretty cracked at that time, and so lots of weeds would grow through the cracks, and (laughs) there was something very um, poetic and inspiring about that. So, yeah, it's not like I spent a lot of time in nature growing up, you know, as a as a child and early. Once I went to college, which it was in the country actually, and that's where I got to see nature, and that's more where the direct connection like raspberry leaves would be a tea that I might be drinking. And then realizing that I was sitting in a patch of it, you know, it was growing wild all around. And so just that connection began to form, but it wasn't like I was a, a nature kid, so to speak.
0: When did nature become important to you?
1: Nature became important to me really not, you know, being an urban kid, my contact was (laughs) limited, but again, I would say, I would say that it, it had more to do with consciousness around connecting to nature through natural food, through holistic healing, through using herbs for medicine and, you know, choosing. So the real full on direct contact to nature, you know, was tasted here and there through summer camps and stuff, but, really filled out more fully as a late teenager when I went to college in the country. And so then I got to really spend time with the plants. And then I'd say around 1988, really my commitment to connecting with nature, focusing on herbalism and uh, understanding that the plants that we're stepping on, everything that's surrounding us is actually... Uh, gifts direct from Mother, you know, from Mother Earth, was pretty incredible. So, and it's it was already that energy about it was already there with me. But again, it would be more through the herb shops that you would see the plants for sale, and and then the direct link to nature really brought home uh, that we don't need anything between us and and plants and us and and our food. And so that that I, I'd say could be a little bit quote like a religion for me. It be, it, beca- it began to kind of really inspire me and and focus my life
0: a bit. Your book is really a wonderful, complete cookbook. It's so informative from beginning to end. And I love how you've presented all of this information. I've read that you've had this book, a book like this in your mind for a long time uh, before you actually had the opportunity to do this, working with Wendy. Did you have elements of your book already written before you launched your project with Wendy?
1: Yes, so much of, of what I share in the book comes from all those years. Again, even the, the plants, as as I say, the the seeding of the book came from that earlier period as a as an eleven year old concocting in the kitchen and learning even from those early experiences the empowering aspect of being in the kitchen and then recipe testing and on and on. And so, yes, for years. A book was forming inside of me, and very practically, even through a lot of the education that I was doing, for, I'd say twenty years before. I, you know, timing is a little confusing. I don't have my exact years, but I was doing a lot of teaching already about what foraging and feasting actually presents in a book. So I had been teaching this subject, teaching people how to cook with wild plants, how to cook with whole foods with the healing theme and the tasty theme in mind. So all of that was already brewing. And so that informs this work. It's not like, oh yeah, I decided to write a book and here I started to create the data for it. The opposite, it was like all of this was blooming and you know fully forming. And then how can I put it into a book? How does that happen? So putting decades of work into an object, <laughs> the challenge of that.
0: How did you and Wendy meet?
1: She was dating a close friend of mine, <laughs> a mutual friend, and he introduced us. and I got very excited. I'm thinking, oh my God, you know, here is someone who can bring to life the plants that I want to talk about, you know, and so that's how we met. I think it was it may have been at a pizza party, a local community outdoor pizza movie party. Wendy moved to my neighborhood maybe a year earlier, so she had arrived and then I sort of grabbed her up, I think I think of it that way.
0: <laughs> and so Wendy, did Dina begin talking to you about this cookbook uh, idea that she had or how did things develop from your
2: first meeting? I think she waited about four to six months before she brought it up. She courted me, I would say before that. <laughs> Just you know, we got together, she showed me her herbal studio and her garden and her land. And I had heard about Dina before I had met her because she had these amazing gardens and very much a permaculture set up. And I was interested in that. And I knew other people who had mentioned that I should be meeting Dina even before I met her. And so we met and I showed her my studio. She showed me her place And uh, yeah, I can't remember exactly what we did after that, because now we've become, we walk a lot together, but I don't think we were walking then right away. I think we were just, can you remember Dina?
1: You know, you cut out a bit on my end here, but I think, I'm not sure what fully you said. So what I'm recalling though, is we were in the kitchen there in your place. And I said, I have a book project in mind. Is this of interest to you? And you were like, yes. (laughs) And I I think we shook hands even.
2: Yeah, Um, I mean, it it was of interest to me because I knew it was a great opportunity for me to further my knowledge about the plants and certainly using them for culinary purposes, which I was really interested in. So I immediately said yes without thinking because I knew I would learn so much. And then what happened after you
0: shook hands what was the first step you took together
2: i would say
1: i think what was it i think it was garlic mustard and i was i think it was springtime early spring and i was saying okay let's here's the plant that you're going to meet now and excited for wendy to draw garlic mustard which is one of our early march or april you know plants that show up and that you know and that was right? Do you remember that? Is that? Yeah, the-
2: I, I still have the page I did then. I remember it well. And I took notes and I, I drew the plant. But what we quickly learned was that we needed a little bit more of a system than um, Dina just sort of introducing me to the plant and telling me to just draw it. Because it was important to know exactly what components needed to be shown, what were... Um, Identifying characteristics, things I might miss, like if it was a hairy plant uh, and that was used for ID, I needed to show that, things like that. So we learned pretty quickly that because I would do my drawing, then I'd show Dina and she'd make me change it a million times. So finally, I think I said to Dina, Could you please give me a list of the characteristics for each plant before we start? And that would, and that really expedited the process.
0: I love how the section of this book about plant identification, how you call it plant maps. And so instead of referring to them as botanical plates, I love the name plant maps. And I also like how you don't refer to your guide as a key, as you would see in lots of other botanical books, that instead you instruct readers to match the characteristics in the illustrations to their plant specimens and you've already given some indication on how working together how you developed the system that you developed for the 50 plants that are in this book explain how you came up with this with this system because it just tells you everything about a plant you could want to to know
1: <laughs> thanks for seeing that yeah so in a way wendy was a gift that arrived that allowed me really direct the art, to speak as an educator. So I could use, you know, Wendy, quote, as a tool to really bring to life all the details that needed to be seen through a plant's whole life cycle. So that was what my intention was to share about a particular plant and all its different life cycles and how it's used. And part of working with Wendy was the, the plant maps the illustrations were hev- heavy collaborations in the sense of capturing the story of the plant. So having to bring Wendy very you know, directly into the specifics of, of what we were capturing so the plant could be fully told the story of the plant. And then laying those plant maps out, those, <laughs> those maps, as I call them, I call them maps because I think of this as a journey that I hope folks are going to enter into or engage forever. So it's it's kind of like walking into a new territory, into a new landscape, and really getting in there and becoming familiar. So it becomes a world that you inhabit. And laying those plant pages out, the goal was to really again tell the plant story and empower the reader to walk through the plant's life stages and understand how to ID it and how to use it for food and for medicine. So there was a great support system in in place, having Wendy who could bring to life the illustrations and then also having Vern sitting next to me doing the computer work as those pages, as I laid out those pages in order to really tell that plant story.
0: Wendy, your illustrations in this book, your illustrations for the 50 plants are so informative and they're so nice to look at as well. (laughs) As you know, I admire your work, everything that you do. This approach to creating botanical plates in this way, was this
2: different than the other way that you normally work? Well, having done this project has changed the way I now work. I learned through Dina's instructions and what was important. I learned so much about what is important to focus on. And actually, how that changes through the whole life cycle of the plant. I mean, I was very ignorant about plants before this. I loved them, and I um, obviously I had been a botanical illustrator, but I hadn't. I had just moved to the country, so before I had moved here, I, my orientation was sadly mostly like uh, flowers in the bucket at the farmer's market and a farmer's market for my vegetables. It wasn't like actually witnessing things growing and watching them develop through the seasons. So um, tracking the plants from early spring to late fall or even into the winter if there are dried seed pods was a real uh, eye-opener for me. And so now I never look at the plant the same way. I mean, now I know how to look at plants and what I need to want to look at that not only will be uh, informative to draw, but interesting you know why and then I know why it's interesting because knowing what the plant is doing why it's doing the things it does and why we use the plants the way we do informs how I want to draw them as well so I thank Dina for that mm-hmm. yeah
1: and, and I'll just add that it wasn't just through one life cycle like one year but some plants that Wendy and I share in the book had to be looked at for two or three years so you know we're really we're really cheating and really accelerating the learning of our reader because we did all of that work you know bringing the plant to them as a baby and then as a two-year-old and sometimes even as a three-year-old so that that morphing through time is part of the plant map journey part of laying those pages out part of directing the art part of you know speaking the forging and feasting story really clearly and so, you know, and I was gifted with, again, I say, you know, Wendy's skills and, and the other support to bring this project to life is pretty amazing. Part of it is that as an educator, I teach people through the growing season over time. And how do you do that in the book? And so that was part of the challenge. And also, I think what's really beautiful, too, and rich about, about the, the illustration, forging and feasting plates or
0: maps, the plant maps, Mm-hmm. Yes. And then for listeners sake, uh, the book also, in a, you know, after the uh, plant maps are presented, there are charts about the plant biographies. And so there's really good helpful information about each plant. There's also charts about the growing conditions and the habitats where these plants are found. And then there's also this really fantastic seasonal harvest chart, which I think is very handy. And then also a really nice chart about the culinary uses for the 50 plants that are featured in this, in this book. And what I love about the, well, let's, before we go to the cookbook part of this book, how did this develop this project? Because you had your idea, you started working together, and then, and then what?
1: It was a three and a half year, I think three and a half, maybe four years project with Wendy. And part of it was feeding her tasty food after year three because she had had enough. No,
2: <laughs> no, but that was always the, uh, the <laughs> carrot she dangled in front of me was she I said, you got to cook me the food. And so that was <laughs> a lot of fun. That part of it getting to taste everything.
1: Yeah. And also holding back the project because I wanted for it to be really fully developed before we released it into the world. So it just, you know, and and I probably could have gone on for another five years. Wendy was like, mm, you know, we got to go. I, I wanted to probably, I could have done 75 plants, but it was really up to Wendy. So the project was... Sort of, you know, when it felt like we had enough plant material that it felt worthy. And I and I was not leaving out important friends, so to speak. I felt like we had covered a good chunk of what I wanted. And then I kind of stuck with 100 master recipes. So recipe testing and really working through the food section to make sure that felt strong and sturdy. And then it was January of 2013 that we launched the Kickstarter, you know, and, and that was... An idea that I proposed because I had loved the thought of, you know, of humans, of, of people on earth rooted in all different parts of the world, cheering on this project and spreading the good word about it. And so the crowdfunding aspect of Kickstarter was very appealing. And Wendy was a little bit cautious about it, but then she was like super on board. And, and then we launched the Kickstarter and, and to our amazement, we had incredible support from all over the world. But I I would say that, you know, we worked really hard before we presented it to the world. It wasn't like an idea that was half-baked. It was actually probably, I'd say, 80 to 90% already cooked, and we were just finalizing it. And at that point, you know, I I felt it would be okay to breathe it out into the world.
2: I mean, to add to that, we had also done a lot of the, uh, in addition to the original artwork and then the graphic design component. I think we used three different graphic designers, one to help Dina with the plant maps, one to do the text of the book. And then for the cover art, we used somebody else not to do the art, but to do the design of it. And we had most of those three components completed, right? before we. And the maps, don't forget the map helped too. So we had a ton of visuals to use because we had all the illustrations, not just for the plant ID, but for the cookbook section. And we might not, we didn't have our final cover, but we had a pretty good cover that we used for the Kickstarter. So we had a lot already worked out so that people could really see the book before it was finished.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes. Now, and you brought to your Kickstarter campaign, your respective audiences, your your subscribers, and people who already uh, followed you?
1: Well, I'll share a little bit about that because Wendy, yes, but me, I didn't really have, just as you can tell now, I don't have good internet, and I really had very low presence online, no no social media, and hardly any email.
2: Dina didn't even have a computer, but we made her, I made her get a computer to do this project, if you recall, Dina. <laughs>
1: I was writing everything, I was doing everything in hard copy. Yeah, and, and I said,
2: no, we're getting you a computer, that's that, and that's what happened. So she'd never...
1: So, uh, yes, we. what happened was, I would say, is there's many factors. I had been in the field of verbalism, and so there was some momentum, but it wasn't from a cyber connection. I didn't have that. Wendy, yes, she, she had some of that. But we had Kickstarter loving our work. That was one huge, big, amazing thing that they loved what we were doing, and they promoted it in an amazing way. And then we also had a local uh, team, like of press, that really also that's who does know me, like over the years. And so there was a lot of PR that was local, that was spoken of the work, and that also a lot of local people were sponsoring. But our reach went into far parts of the world that we had no idea who these. People
2: and it, it was. It was before Instagram, and um, maybe there was Facebook, but we didn't hardly, we didn't really have a presence anywhere at that point.
1: No, we didn't even have a Facebook page, or we began the page right around that time, and had to like, you know, Catskill native Diane, our our friend neighbor with the business, she said this is how you set it up. So she showed us. I mean, I think the work and the rightness of the subject, the integrity of the work, is really was felt deeply. Plus we did have support in real time with real people. And then again, with this, with the platform of Kickstarter um, and all of the parts coming together, really, really created quite a stir and a lot of momentum. I mean, I do feel like I have um, been in this herbalism world for what, I don't know, since 19, late eighties. So yes, there was momentum from being known, but not from having any of the connections that you, Know, that people have with the internet that I didn't have.
2: Yeah, it was very little of that. But we did, we were able to locally, it was where we were a huge presence then, and we still are now. I can't go anywhere without somebody who meets me knowing the book, which is kind of amazing. So that's really kind of cool. I said, Wendy's a
1: superstar here now.
2: <laughs> it does. It's pretty fun. Well, Dina was always a superstar here, but now I am too. Yeah, well, that's amazing. And, you know, it's just it's well
0: deserved. So if you could share with listeners your Kickstarter campaign, it was a huge,
2: wild success. Well, I mean, a big part of we have this, first of all, our Kickstarter campaign, we knew right away that the video component was going to be huge. We went to Kickstarter school two to three months before we launched it. So we studied a lot of the campaigns on there at the time, which were much, I'm sure, less than there are now. And Dina happened to have a son who was a very, very, is a very talented um, videographer, filmmaker. So that was really big. We hired him to help us, or Dina made sure he would help us, right, Dina?
1: Yeah, we bribed him with a computer, I think. That's
2: right, (laughs) we bought him a computer too, the whole family.
0: (laughs) And and so you launched your campaign what was your ask when you launched your campaign?
1: The ask was, I believe it was 25000 You know, we could review this on the Kickstarter site because everything is still up there. I think Wendy, because with Kickstarter, if you don't get all of it, you don't get any of it. So we didn't want to ask too high in fear that we wouldn't reach it. We ended up with over $115,000 plus local support. So... And the truth is, is that it allowed us to create a book and, and do a print run. It, we really didn't pay ourselves very much at that point. The profit really came years, the years following where, you know, to pr- produce this book, to, to pay for that big print run, there wasn't like that much money left to cover our four years of commitment to the work. But the truth is, it was a labor of love. No one could have paid me the amount of time I put into putting or Wendy, you know, I don't think so. It was a labor of love. And so the financial part was just this amazing feeling of support and of filling up our, you know, feeling like the work was being received and filling us with this gratitude that allowed us to produce a really beautiful book and send, and send us along the way so that this book continues to sell well, we've done already a second print run, and to really, we do earn profit from it now. And we were given that 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 wonderful early support, you know, financially, but the biggest support came from Wendy willing to do the work with me and then my commitment over the years just to labor with it and go with it and do it because of the vision for producing this project. You know, it wasn't financially detailed. That wasn't the motivating factor.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so you... You had 3,000 pre-orders, if, if I remember correctly. And, and that, that all came through your Kickstarter campaign because you then you formed Botanical Arts Press after that.
1: Exactly. So the funds from Kickstarter helped to fund the LLC. So now we have a company called Botanical Arts Press. That's a publishing company that takes care of foraging and feasting and the book-related distribution. And we also have visual products that come from the book, forging and feasting note cards and posters and, and some of the fine art prints. And so it's a whole business. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's very, very exciting. What's next for, for you and for Botanical Arts Press?
1: I'd say that putting the book into the world was a huge and is a huge thing for me. Still, I'm actually... I put a lot of effort into keeping it moving through and being seen. And so I'm still kind of, how would you say? And it's because it reflects really the work that I already do. It's it's just part of my life. It's not like, oh, I'm going to do foraging and feasting and then switch channels. It is still the channel I'm on. There is in the works some visual, like some video. So my son is motivated to do some project with me, which is almost formed. And that has to do with taking the forging and feasting theme and bringing it into a video format. So that's exciting. Uh, But just I'll add that the work that I do, being an educator, connecting people to nature through plants, teaching people about the culinary arts and the herbal, herbal arts, so to speak, that's still ongoing and has been throughout. And that that's the same and different at the same time, but I'll, I'll uh, ask Wendy. So she's got great projects she could share with you. What's going on with you, Wendy?
2: (laughs) Well, I have, you know, other books on instructional, how to draw plants. And I also teach a lot of getting to know the plants as you draw them. And I have a new book coming out in a couple of months called the joy of botanical drawing, which is kind of bite-sized botanical lessons to teach you kind of step by step, how to draw plants and really learn about them at the same time. So that's something that I have going on that you might be interested Mm in. Yeah,
0: of course, always. Yeah, that's great, Wendy. Both of you are doing great work. And so I wanted to mention to, to the listeners that you are on the East Coast, and your book is about foraging wild plants. But you made a very, what I really appreciate is that you make a very, Strong point that this book is for everybody, re- regardless of where they live. It's for homeowners, it's for people who live in apartments, because the herbs that you can get at the store or that you can grow in your own garden can easily be substituted with the 50 plants that are featured in your book. And what I also love about this book is that you don't have, say, individual recipes for specific things, you have master recipes. How did you come up with the idea for Master Recipes?
1: I'll also just add to your point that the plants featured in foraging and feasting are mostly global cosmopolitan weeds. So you can find them all over the world, not necessarily in a desert or tropics, but a lot in Europe. So that, that was also part of the fun was choosing plants that would be worldwide. But then also related to the Master Recipe question The earlier book that I wrote called Birkin Bodies and Heavenly Hair is also formatted in that same way. And I feel that it's an empowering way to teach recipes so that you're not railroading or shutting down a recipe, but you're actually teaching technique and you're teaching the elements of a recipe. And then you're teaching fluid, you know, fluid or fluency within the kitchen. So you begin to understand the anatomy of a recipe and then what can you switch in or out, what elements you can play with. So I think that's a big part of my my love in the kitchen too is, is okay, who's arriving today or what's in the landscape or what's at the farmer's market and how can we put that to good use so that a recipe should be empowering to bring to life whatever abundance comes away. That's the idea.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a beautiful book and I've read it from cover to cover and I just love it. And I think I think that anyone who's interested in gardening, in eating more healthfully, will find this book to be very helpful. And there's a lot of good uh, directions and instructions from from harvesting leaves and flowers and roots and seeds and fruit to drying them, to preparing them, direction on when to look for them. Regardless of whether you have a house or an apartment, everyone can have their own homestead because of this book.
1: Thanks. And now can I just add one thing too, that a big theme for producing a book like this is to have people fall in love with both the wild and weedy plants that often are ignored, but that has so much food and medicine value and also to rekindle the pleasure of the kitchen. And, and those two things, I feel as much as the book is just about those and loveliness and beauty and tastiness, I feel like it's also a revolutionary um, book And If We Take that, Back That Power, We Make Big Change in the World. We, we, we look at the earth differently. We look at our bodies differently. And our creative selves emerge, not just our consumer selves, but who we are how we can be co creative with the earth.
0: Yes, it's beautiful. And, and one more question How do you introduce people who live in very urban settings and concrete is what they know? Most, you know, that's most of what they're exposed to. How do you convince them to try a wild plant?
1: (laughs) I had the pleasure of doing a plant walk in Greenpoint, Brooklyn this past spring, and it was super fun. All through the cracks of the sidewalks, you know, we found friends to talk about, not necessarily to harvest from that area because I'm picky about where I pick plants, but to learn You know, a big part of being a forager is just to learn the plants before you even harvest, just to learn who's living in your ecosystem. How do you idea it? How do you learn directly from the plant? And then um, we did walk into uh, a more wild zone that I guess it's considered a natural meadow section within the Greenpoint Park. And so there was a lot of interesting stuff. And it was such a poetic experience and, and getting the people, you know, cement right there next to or underneath, you know, everything is still there. The seed bank is still there. And, um, so these people who came to the plant walk, you know, were obviously very excited. They came out. It was a pouring cold April day. It was freezing, but it added to the adventure. So they were already committed. I think your question though, is like, how do you entice other people who might not be interested? You know, I mean, And I think part of bringing Wendy on to this project was that they'll get seduced by looking at her images. You know, they'll look at a dandelion flower and say, Oh my God, that's gorgeous. Like, or I can sprinkle that into my salad. Really? You know, so that, I mean, but being an urban kid, I feel like there's a huge, uh, there's a huge interface and a good thing. There's a lot that can happen between you know, the urban situation and reconnecting to the parks, you know, to, again, I'm picky about where people forage from, but you can still spend so much time in Central Park or Prospect Park or the different little pocket gardens that are all all around New York City. There's so much plant connection to be had in those places that, and and, uh, so it's about, yeah, getting people excited to do that. And a big part about the Greenpoint Walk, too, was to men, there was discussion around that the soil is heavily contaminated in that part of Brooklyn. It's a a super fun site or whatever the words are. And so, you know, it's all about like, once you realize that food and medicine grow right at your feet, you want to take care of your landscape. So you become an an earth steward or a landscape caretaker. That's the other big part of this whole journey is, oh, oh my God, look, we need to take care of where we are and Yeah. So, I mean, in teaching, too, when I got the opportunity, the privilege to teach down at Washington College in Maryland, at Chestertown, and the discussion came up after the lecture that evening in the morning, the people were running out into the streets chatting with me saying, oh, my God, I've learned that we spray. So their concern around not being able to forage because of the toxicity that we humans are using in order to keep the landscape pristine, you know, these are all of the things that we need to be discussing and changing our behavior around.
0: You make a good point about how once you become aware of food that's growing at your feet, how that inspires you, motivates you to take care of, of more of everything that is around you. Uh, Wendy,
2: you were wanting to add to this. Well, I was just going to say that I think that what Dina does, her gift is she brings people to the plants and, Makes them aware of them, and then the truth is, she doesn't have to do much after that because I think nature and plants—they sed- they know how to seduce. That's their whole, their whole—you know—strategy has always been how to attract and how to seduce. You know, and so we, we're caught up in that also.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, they're—I mean—they are tasty. They're beautiful. They're interesting. They smell good most of the time. It's hard to resist. You know. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you both, Dina and Wendy. Thank you for joining me today and for sharing information about your book, about how this book was made and about how you've worked together. Is there anything that you'd like to say or add that we haven't discussed?
1: I'll add one one last point, which is the wish for folks to go out. So part of putting a book like Forging and Feasting Out is to get people to really tune into the plants, but not in place of actually getting out there and being with the plants. So that's a big thing for me and the way that I teach and the hope that I have. So that nature connection is a big part of what I do when I teach courses is getting people to really connect to nature through plants. And maybe that was already said in this conversation, but just to reemphasize that. And thank you so much for having us on your show and for, for the work you're doing.
0: Thank you. Thank thank you. And where can listeners learn about your respective works?
1: So my online presence is really just through the foraging and feasting platforms. And that is the botanicalartspress.com and also through Instagram foraging and feasting and through Facebook foraging and feasting. And then Wendy.
2: For me, it's, two ways. My name, which is Wendy Hollander, but you have to spell it W-E-N-D-Y, and then Hollander is H-O-L-L-E-N-D-E-R. So wendyhollander.com is one way to see my work. And then to really get to know my um, instructional component to learn botanical drawing, I have a website called drawbotanical.com, which gives you all that kind of information like to add then to that, Wendy, is that you
0: teach online. You have an online component.
2: I have an online component, and people go to workshops that I teach pretty much all over. I travel the world a little bit to teach uh, some workshops. And so, yeah, those components. Yeah, for sure.
0: To learn more about the book Foraging and Feasting, the plant maps, the foraging blog, and related events be sure to visit the show notes. In the notes, you'll also find information about Wendy's current projects and her online courses in botanical drawing. And you'll also find in the show notes a link to transcripts. Beginning with this episode, transcripts will be available. Transcripts for past episodes are in progress, so please check from time to time if you are looking for the transcripts of previous episodes. You'll find these transcripts in the show notes at talaterra.com. Talatera is a podcast for and about independent educators working in natural resource fields and environmental education. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and colleagues. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Tanya Marion.